Hey, can we say thanks one more time to the band today for leading us in worship? Thank you. <clears throat> April 22nd, 2019 started off like any other Monday post-Easter. We had a really fun time as a community leading up to Easter. We did a Easter art show, the Holy Week art show. How many of you guys got to be a part of that? That was amazing. Um, and then we had a, a Good Friday service and uh, Easter weekend, and over 1,400 people came to our campus. If you haven't heard that, I wanted you to know that. It was the largest Easter we've had in a long time. And so the day started off for me with a lot of energy, lots of excitement about all that God had done um, in the midst of that, but also our team was a little bit tired because it takes a lot of work to do all those kinds of things. But the other thing that was kind of at play for me is that for the few days leading up to Easter, I've been having some kind of weird things going on with my heart. Um, my heart rate was fluctuating some, and it was elevated at times when it shouldn't be, and things like that. And I had a little bit of tightness in my chest, but I tried not to really make too much of it. Like, it'll be, it'll just go away, right? So I started the day off on Monday, go through the day, do my thing. But by the time the evening came, I wasn't feeling very well. The tightness was, like, pretty solid in my chest, and my pulse rate was fluctuating. And so I did what most men do. I hoped it would go away. And I went and took my meds so I could sleep, and I tried to go to sleep. And as I laid there, I kept thinking, this doesn't feel right, like something is off. And so I did the thing that you should never, ever do late at night when you think something is wrong with you. I looked at WebMD <laughs> for like an hour. And it's like flow chart. I think Ryan said this one's like, I'm dead. I'm dead that night, like pretty much. So then I was afraid to go to sleep because I thought my wife's going to wake up to my frozen corpse in the morning because something happened in the middle of the night. My anxiety started really creeping up and I lay there going, what am I supposed to do? And my wife had taken sleeping meds too and she was zonked. I mean, she was out for the count. So I was trying to calculate like, you know, if I drive myself to the hospital, I always should have an exit plan in case the heart attack comes. I go, oh, and just pull over and that way I don't kill everybody on the road. But then I thought, ah, my mother-in-law, Connie, lives with us. So I texted her, and I said, hey, um, funny thing, I think I'm having a heart attack, and I need you to drive me to the emergency room. So she pops up out of bed, no problem. She drives me to the ER. And so, so I go, go in uh, to the desk, and I start doing the registration thing, and I say, uh, I'm having some chest pains. And I'm saying, the moment I said that, it was like, there was no more like, well, let's work on some paperwork. It was like... 30 seconds later, I'm in a room, and 30 seconds after that, I mean, people are hooking all these things up to me, and they're taking blood tests, and 30 seconds after that, the doctor comes in. Now, I just want to give you just some free advice, okay? If you go to the ER, sometimes you can have a really long wait, like if you hurt your foot, right? Here's a little trick. I think I might be having chest pains. 30 seconds later, you're seeing the doctor. I'm just saying. So... After about two hours, the nurse came in and said, I have the results of the test. And, and I got to admit, I gulped and I waited for the, the bad news. And I assumed that it was going to be a zipper cut time. I'm getting open heart surgery tonight. And she said these words to me, you're most definitely not having a heart attack. Now, she could have said to me, my family and I just got back from vacation on the moon. And I would have believed her equally because WebMD told me I was having a heart attack. So I asked, are you sure? And yeah, we're really sure. So the doctor then comes in and delivers the bad news. You're having a panic attack. Well, that's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Like, 
And I didn't believe that. See, the doctor said, all your symptoms are just due to stress. And I'm naturally, I'm I have a very high stress tolerance. My therapist once told me I had the highest stress tolerance of anyone she's ever worked with, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but I didn't know what anxiety felt like. I'm just not naturally real anxious or super stressed, and so the the tension in my chest and the heart irregularities and all this sort of stuff, um, I found out that I had stress in my life. Side note, my wife's asleep this whole time. No clue (laughs) anything's going on. So I get home at like 5.30, 6 in the morning. She's still zonked out, drooling on the pillow. And I roll over, put my arm around her, and I go to sleep. She wakes up in the morning, and there's a hospital bracelet (laughs) on my arm. She said, what the heck happened last night? I said, well, I didn't have a heart attack. (sighs) Now, in case you're wondering, I'm completely fine. And and I've had a lot of time to reflect on that season to kind of try to figure out what was going on. And I've got to say, it was pretty embarrassing. I mean, to say, well, it's a panic attack, right? I mean, we did, you know, x-rays and all this kind of stuff and $10,000 worth of tests and treatment and all this kind of stuff to find out I had just anxiety. And so I've had many months to reflect on this. Like, where was my anxiety coming from? And I've come to this conclusion. I was having an anxiety attack because I was being thrust unwillingly into a forced transition that I, I didn't want. And what you might not know is that a few days before, Ryan Paulson, our former lead pastor, um, had gotten a call from this church that he had been speaking with in California, the church that he's actually preaching at probably right now, um, asking him to come out and interview with their team. And I just knew in my gut that if he went out there, that he would eventually move there. I just, I don't know how to explain it, my intuition, I just knew that was going to happen. I love Ryan. We had a great relationship. That was the last thing that I wanted. And, and I sensed that God was moving. And I just knew that God was going to take him there. And I think the weight of being pulled from one season to another boiled over. Even without me realizing it. And put me in the hospital in the middle of the night. Now, the good news is my doc, my primary doc, put me on anxiety medication. So I don't feel anything. So it's great. <laughs> I'm kidding. I feel some things. Here's the deal, though. Transition of any kind, moving from one season to the next, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we know transition is so difficult that we'll stay in circumstances that are boring or hurt or are oppressive to us because of the fear of the unknown. Are you with me? So we'll settle for like a less than quality of life or not go where God is calling us to go because we can at least predict what's happening in this season. And so that's the, that's the place I found myself, being pulled in a direction that I didn't anticipate going and one that I couldn't predict or control or any of those things. And, and what's interesting is that's now where we are as a community, isn't it? I mean, God's got us on a, a pretty wild journey. We're being pulled into a new future that six months ago we didn't know we were going to be in. And for many of us, that's one that maybe the last few months you've had emotion around or anxiety or fear or trepidation. And then there are others of us in this room who are Curious and excited. I wonder what God might do. But here's what's really interesting and I've come to know and believe about transition. And I want you to pay attention to this and I encourage you to write it down because I think for some of us in this room, this could change your life in how you engage with God as God pulls you from one season to the next. And here it is. A season of transition. It might present us with obstacles. And for most of us, when we're getting pulled into transition, that's the place our brain first goes. Well, this isn't going to work, and this isn't going to work, and here's what's going to be bad, and this is going to hurt, and that's going to be lots of pain, right? 
But there's another way to see transition in our life as we seek to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, and that is it's also pregnant with, say it with me, opportunity. Oh, now, wait a second. You mean transition doesn't have to all be bad? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Look at your neighbor and say, it doesn't have to be bad. Now, look at your neighbor and say, your situation is pregnant. I didn't say you were pregnant. There's some prophets in here and someone going, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. Listen, church, I believe that the season that we're going into is a season that's filled with opportunity. And I love the scriptures and the stories we get to navigate in the journey in the scripture. And fortunately, we're not the only community to experience a transition into an unknown future. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. And we're going to get into that in just a second. I want to walk through a story of Israel. But to give you a little bit of context as you're turning there, the book of Genesis is a fascinating book. It's the origin of the birth of humanity, the birth of a nation. It's where God calls Abraham or promises him that he's going to build a nation from him. He's going to give him a land and all of these sorts of things. But the book of Genesis ends with Joseph, and Joseph becomes the right-hand person to Pharaoh in charge of all of the land. You remember the story. So at the end of the book, Joseph meets with his brothers, and he says, hey, I've got all this favor and all this sort of stuff, but I want to tell you something. God will make good on the promises that God promised to our forefather Abraham. And then Genesis 50 ends with Joseph what? He's dead. So then we flip over a page or two in your Bible to Exodus chapter 1, and now there's a new king in charge. There's a new Pharaoh, and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know the promise of Abraham. He doesn't know. All he knows is that there are millions of people in his land who aren't his people. And if I were a king and I saw that and I came to power, I'd probably be a little bit intimidated by this fact that there are all these people, millions of people, um, that knew Joseph, that knew Joseph's lineage, but he's new and he's probably threatened by that. And so what does he do? He enslaves them. He oppresses them. He puts them hard at work. And I mean backbreaking labor. And eventually the Israelites, they start crying out to God. Remember your promise, Lord. Look where we are. Look how difficult this is, trapped here in Egypt. They groaned and, and God heard them. And the, the scriptures say he was concerned about them. So God raised up a person to lead them through what's called the Exodus. And who was that person? Moses or Charlton Heston? Yes. <laughs> So God raised Charlton Heston to do this. And God promises Moses, tell the people to get ready. There's a transition coming. But he also says this really interesting thing. He says, tell them to ask their neighbors, their Egyptian neighbors, for gold and trinkets and iPhones and Apple Watches and all those little things, you know, the, you know Gucci garment bags and all this sort of stuff, clothes and um, thread and all these sorts of things. And I want you to hold that here because we're going to come back to that here in just a second. Finally, God helps them escape. And if you know the story, Pharaoh finally, after his firstborn son is killed from the plagues, he allows the Israelites to go. And they go, millions of people, through the desert. Um, they cross the Red Sea. And now they find themselves wanderers in the desert. You know the story. Well, as all of us probably would be on a long journey through the desert, they start grumbling and complaining, saying, we need food, and we need water, and all these sorts of things. And so there's tension in the camp as they go. And so God leads them to Mount Sinai, and, and Moses, 
um, the Lord starts instructing them to build this thing called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is sort of the Old Testament picture of the temple that was to come. It was the place where the Holy of Holies would stand. If you see in the back of that tent, the Ark of the Covenant would be there, which eventually is where the, the law of the Lord would be held. This is really a picture of Jesus, and I don't have time to go into all of this, but just imagine they're taking the, this with them, and it's very detailed. I mean, there's chapter after chapter after chapter in Exodus giving them explanation of all the things that they need. Makes sense. So while they're on the mount, while Moses is there, he goes up on Mount Sinai, and he meets with God, and, and we see that God gives him the Ten Commandments and a bunch of laws. This is how you are to live in this journey. And it's really interesting as I've been thinking about this, it's a lot like the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has everyone in front of him and he sort of says, these are the rules of engagement for the kingdom of God. So these are sort of the rules of engagement for the Israelites to follow as they journey toward the promised land, the land of milk and honey. But while Moses is up there meeting with God, the Israelites, they become unrested. They're, they're going, we need a leader. And we need a God, and it's hard to worship a God you can't see. We need a God. What do we do? So Moses is on the mountain, and Aaron says, hey, bring me your gold. Now, where did they get the gold from? Egypt. So they bring this gold, and he melts it down, and he makes this idol for them to worship. And so while Moses is on the mountain, they're worshiping this golden calf. Now, the Lord gets angry about this and says their hearts have become corrupt, and basically I should smote them. And Moses says, but Lord, remember your promise to build a nation, to build a, a kingdom of priests, to lead them to a land of milk and honey. And the Lord hears that and he relents. So Moses comes down and he hears all this music and there's this big party going on and probably a DJ and all this sort of stuff happening and they're chanting and they're worshiping this golden calf. And Moses comes and he sees what the Lord is talking about and he gets so angry that he breaks the Ten Commandments. <sighs> And Israel has to go through an opportunity to repent. But what I love about this story, before we get into the text, is we see a real opportunity for grace here. Because God could have just wiped them all out. But he gave them another chance. And so Moses hikes the 14er. He goes, gets more, 10 commandments, number two, comes down. And that's where we find the nation of Israel as we jump in today. Moses begins to speak to them. And I want you to look at Exodus chapter 35. We're going to start in verse 1, and I have a number of scriptures, so hang with me. There's a point to all of this, I promise. In verse 4, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, akasha wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. And then he gives us this long list, the tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oils for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle. Are you getting the picture? It's pretty detailed. So there's all this stuff that they have to bring. And then all that stuff has to be assembled into something very elaborate and very ornate. Let's move on down to verse 20. So then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence after he's talking to them and giving them instructions. They withdraw from him. 
And everyone who was willing and whose hearts removed them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. And then they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And I want us to skip down to verse 29. Listen. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. That's a lot. I mean, it was like a million people standing there, and he's giving these instructions that we're going to come together, and we're going to make something together in this season. And it's not even the permanent thing. Isn't that wild? This isn't even the temple. We're not in the promised land yet. We're not where we're going. This is sort of what we're taking with us, God's presence, the way we honor God in this season, and I'm inviting everyone to be a part of this. Hold on to that. I want to look at just four brief observations from this text, and then I'm going to talk about another community in transition. The first thing that strikes me from this is from verse 5, and he says to bring things from what you have. Notice he didn't say go out and get them. Don't go try to go to Walmart and grab some stuff. There was no grocery list. It's stuff that you already have. You see, God used the resources and the gifts and the things that were among them to do the work he called them to do. Now, where did they get all of this stuff? Egypt. So they already had it. And this is really interesting. God used the stuff from their past to weave together something that would guide them into the future. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I sometimes look at my past and things that are in my past, and I wish that stuff wasn't in my past. How about you? I don't want to think about that thing. I don't want to pay attention to that thing that's from my past. But I think it's really interesting that when Jesus uh, had the resurrection and he appeared to the disciples for the first time, he showed Thomas his scars, right? It seems like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords could could just sort of smooth over the scars, make it like they were never there. But I think it's such an important thing. It's a gift for us reading that in the scriptures to see that the scars were a part of his story. Egypt was painful for these people. But out of it, God used something from their past to pull them toward the future. And he didn't ask them to conjure up something or to go plunder something or to go to Walmart or Target or whatever. He asked them to bring things from what they had. The second observation is from verse 10. And he said, all who are skilled among you. Now think about it. They needed people who could sew, who could cut wood, who could craft um, materials and fabric. And they needed leadership and craft things and on and on and on it went. I think it's really interesting. There were people that had to use the skills that God gave them to create the thing God was asking them to do in the season of transition. But the other thing that I think strikes me about that particular thing is the, the skilled laborers among them would have had nothing to build with had it not been for the whole rest of the tribe. I think that's fascinating. The third observation, verse 21, this phrase, all who were willing. You know, the people withdrew from Moses. He sort of charged them and said, we're in transition. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build this tabernacle, and you've got to bring all this stuff. And he gave them this huge list of stuff to bring. And then they withdrew from him, and all who were willing came back with their stuff and their skills. And this implies something I think is fascinating, is that not everyone was willing, and that's okay. Now, I don't know why those who weren't willing were, weren't willing. Maybe they were burnt out, or maybe they were, they were afraid, or they were tired, or maybe they were angry, or just waiting to see what happened. I'm not sure. But what I think is powerful is that God used those who were willing to move the story forward. 
The fourth observation, same verse, verse 21. Those who were willing and whose hearts were what? Moved. Now finally, we see that there are those whose hearts were moved. And, and again, not everybody's hearts were moved. We don't know exactly what percentage of people's hearts were moved, but I think churches often do a really good job of guilting and shaming people to try to move their hearts. But it's really the work of the Spirit that should move our hearts. And I will say I've felt shamed before or guilted for not doing an offer. I should be at everything. I should do all these sorts of things. But what we see is that Moses presented what God was saying, and there were those who were willing and whose hearts were moved, and there were those who weren't, and that's okay. God did God's good work through people whose hearts were willing and whose hearts were moved. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I think what's key here is that there are those who are listening and attentive, and God moved their hearts and they responded. That's such a beautiful, powerful story. And if you want to Bible nerd out with me, go back several chapters and read uh, all the info about the tabernacle. It's pretty powerful. But I think it's so cool that a few chapters before, people brought their gold and stuff to fashion it into a golden calf. And that here they had a heart change. They're embracing the season that they're in, and they brought all their stuff for the glory of God. I want to talk about another community in transition, and, and I want to fast forward to 2019. And this community resides in Littleton, Colorado. You know, we started the summer off with a lead pastor and ended the summer without one. And now you're stuck with an interim pastor, which is me. So I'm sorry about that. It's been a wild journey. But we are a community in transition. We're moving from one season or era to another. And I know that there will be obstacles in our path. That's just, that's just normal because we're humans. Things just happen. But listen, I'm 100% convinced that this season of transition is pregnant with potential. That we have everything we need to do the good work of God in our city and beyond. And I'm going to tell you five reasons why I think we have tons of potential. One is we have a solid mission statement. Last year we, we rolled out a mission statement. And our mission statement is, say it with me, to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. That drives every single thing we do. We take that really seriously. We want to see people being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing as Jesus did. So every decision that we make from leadership all the way down to every volunteer is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And there's unlimited potential in that because we're partnering for the sake of the gospel. The second thing I think gives us potential is that we have solid values. We have values that motivate us and drive us. And I want you to, to look at those values. Presence is one of our values. And that means that we really believe in the presence of God and sitting in the presence of God and pr practicing and pursuing the presence of God. And so when our worship team is preparing during the week, they're thinking, how can we help people eliminate obstacles so they can encounter Jesus today? presence in our lives. Practice, another value. That means that we practice. We're learning. We're not perfect overnight. It takes a while. We have to keep trying. We have to practice. And so we have practices that we use on a consistent basis to help us move toward the image and the likeness of Christ. Wholeness, that's one of our values. That basically means uh, that we're whole human beings. And how many of you know there's a lot more to us than our spiritual selves? That Jesus didn't just come to, to give us a get out of heaven ticket. He showed us how to be fully human physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually and relationally and vocationally and financially and on and on it goes that's wholeness and we pursue that as a community family is another of our values and that basically means that we're a family together and whether you grew up in a dysfunctional family or not this is the family of god and we cling to one another 
in seasons of transition and in seasons of flourishing. Roots, I love this. I love this value. Um, one reason is um, I think the Reformation did a lot of really good things. It was a really good thing. But one of the downsides of the Reformation was it feels to me like it disconnected many of us from our roots that the early church had, that there was a church prior to the 1500s. Did you know that? That God was at work prior to that. And there's a lot we can learn from reading the scriptures and reading the writings of the, the early fathers and learning kind of how their community wrestled together. We have a lot to learn from our roots. And so that's why on our wall out in the lobby, you'll see the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. These are collective statements written about theology, about what the gospel is, and we adhere to those. And then finally, I'm really excited about this one, and that's renewal. I've been chewing on this, this thought lately have you ever wondered this question? When Jesus became the incarnation, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, why didn't he just stay? You ever thought about that? Like, why ascend and leave it to us? And I will tell you, I have two master's degrees in theology. I send a check every month to Navient to give me the authority to say this next statement. I have no idea. I don't know. But as I've been meditating on this recently and reflecting, one thing that's got me really excited is that for whatever reason, God allowed us to partner with him to see the kingdom break forth on this earth. That little old me in Littleton, Colorado today is a partner with the creator of all things. That the kingdom of heaven, which has always existed, by the way, didn't just start when Jesus started talking about the kingdom. He now invites us into his kingdom work. I think that's a pretty big deal. The, the fourth thing that I think gives us tons of potential is that we have a vision. And, you know, like the Israelites on a journey to the promised land, there was a lot of work for them to do. The tabernacle took a lot of materials and time and effort. And I want to remind us that in January, our elders went away to pray and to say, Lord, you've blessed this church so much. What's next in this season? What do you want us to focus on the next four or five years? What is your vision, Lord, for South Fellowship Church? And the elders felt like they heard God loud and clear. And the first thing was spiritual formation. We feel like we should do everything we can to help people to take personal ownership of their journey. To not just depend on the church or to just have people come and listen to sermons uh, week after week, but to give them the tools that they need to be formed, fully formed into the image and the likeness of Christ. And that we should work to have some kind of pathway that allows people to grow toward becoming who God made them to be. Because did you know that we're all unique? Isn't that interesting? To, to, to help them grow in a way that makes sense for them. You see, we all are different. If you just take a look around this room, the person sitting next to you, chances are, unless your twin is here with you, does not look like you. We have different backgrounds and different life experiences. And so for us to say, well, we're going to build a model of spiritual formation where it's step one, two, three, four, and now you look, look like Jesus, that's not realistic. So we're really excited to have practices for people, to have a customized journey for people to figure out how they're wired, how they best engage God, how they best grow, what God might want to do. And I think moving beyond what would Jesus do to the idea of what would Jesus do if Jesus were you? If the image of God is within us, how do we move toward being who Jesus called us to be? And so we're dreaming of having spiritual directors who would sit with people and speak into that and mentors who are a step or two ahead, pulling them forward, coaches and counselors to help them work through issues in their life. We're working really hard behind the scenes on that to not just have stuff that we're doing, but we're really trying to frame it. We're trying, we're trying to do the things that it takes to lead toward transformation. 
And we're dreaming of every environment being centered around that. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty darn excited about it. And I hope you are too. The second part of our vision is targeted transformation. And, and that's simply just a way of saying we feel God calling us to pick some specific things in this world that we would like to invest in and see different. And there's a bazillion needs out there. But we're trying to just prayerfully determine, Lord, where do you want us to invest our energy? And we've been working behind the scenes to create a, a brand new outreach strategy, one that's simple and easy for people to know about and to celebrate, that has a local component and a global component, investing in the areas we feel God calling us to invest in. And what's cool is we're working hard to find ways to help the average person in the South get plugged in, to see needs in the community, to see needs around the world, working with strategic partners here or our global missionaries and all those sort of things. We want to talk about those more. We want to talk about what God's doing and give you an opportunity to step forward and to practice your faith by meeting the needs of those who are hurting. Targeted transformation. We're going to be helping people outside of our walls move toward wholeness, and I cannot wait. The next thing, the next thing that has potential, I, I want to make a big announcement today, so I want you to listen. You might want to post this on Facebook, on Twitter tonight. You might want to call your friends who aren't here today and share this with them. But I have some good news to announce in the midst of this transition. We have a head pastor. That's good news. And guess what? We always have. Isn't that cool? So turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and I want to talk about this head pastor I didn't find him on the internet. I found him in the scriptures. And I want to I want to give you a little bit of his resume right now just so you can get excited about this pastor. Ready? Hebrews 3 verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So Moses painted this picture for our new head pastor and in verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And then this is, blows my mind, and we are his house. Wow. This passage, it's such a beautiful tie-in to the Exodus narrative we were studying. Jesus is the head pastor. He's the builder of the house. He's our apostle. He's our high priest. He's our head pastor. So we don't have to be afraid because Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And that means that he is our head pastor. And listen, that's not just some cheeky statement we're saying because we're afraid or, or we're just trying to sound spiritual or whatever. We're saying it because it's the truth, friends. It's what the scripture teaches. We don't have to have the pressure. We've got the king of kings watching over this house this very moment. Amen. How many of you think that's good news? I love this thought. I've been meditating on this, that this is the church. And the scriptures say that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not a promise that Larry Boatwright gave you. That's something that Jesus himself said. The last thing I think is powerful is that we are his house. And if you notice the last verse there, we're his house. We're the body of Christ. And we have the incredible blessing of partnering with Jesus for the sake of the gospel. And I want you to turn over really quickly to uh, Romans chapter 12. And I want to talk just for a second about what the body means. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, it says, 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members or many parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and listen, and each member belongs to the others. Isn't that beautiful? It's another picture. See, the, the, the tribe of Israel, they came together. They had different things to offer. Some offered skilled labor, some offered gold, some offered trinkets, whatever it might be, but they were all belonged toward one another because they were locked in on the journey together. People with different abilities, different functions, but all advancing the kingdom. And I love this reminder that we all belong one to another. Someone recently asked, why do we have membership at South Fellowship? Like, why do we have a membership? Why do we have membership classes? Why do we ask people to become part of a member uh, here? And I'm glad that you asked whoever that was that asked that question. And this is why. Membership itself is a way of saying, I'm all in. I am a part of this body, and I'm acknowledging I'm a part of this body. And even if I'm just a pinky toe, I'm going to contribute something to God's good kingdom because it's not all about me. And it's also acknowledging that I belong one to another. And there's strength in numbers. It's actually a really powerful thing. I believe that South Fellowship is a community filled with people where everyone has something to offer. You might not believe that. You might think, well, what is this little hour of my week give or what is this you know little bit I put in the offering plate or this this time I take the prayer list and I pray over it well let me tell you we have everything we need to do the work God has called this church to do and I think of these ladies that come in on Thursdays and you might not know this but they're volunteers that come in on Thursdays and they take the the service guide and they fold it and they put inserts and stuff in it for you but Jesus I don't know if you know this but Jesus doesn't just magically make that happen We don't wake up one day and it's under the Christmas tree. Like, people come in and do that. That little time makes a huge difference. There are people right now serving in kids' ministry who are giving an hour or two of their their week to just sit with children and to love them. And I love, we we have a young one right here. Isn't it great that we have young people in our community? And there are people in this church who would love them well. There are people who greet at the doors or pass the offering buckets or serve in this city or around the world. You see, we have everything we need to do the work that God has called us to, and whatever you have to bring, God will use it for his glory. We also have skilled workers with all kinds of skills who get to do all kinds of things. We also, this is a church filled with people who have willing hearts, who are ready to go, who say, I'm willing, use me, here I am, Lord, use me, how can I be used for God's good kingdom? We also have a church filled with people whose hearts are moved. A couple weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, we had a corporate prayer gathering, and I just want to tell you If you missed it, you've got to come to the next one, uh, the second Wednesday of September. It was powerful. For those of you who were there, it was powerful, wasn't it? Like the Lord showed up. Our hearts were moved. And this church is filled with people who posture themselves to allow their hearts to be moved and pulled forward by the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful for that. We're a community called by God to, to partner with Jesus in helping his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to know this. Listen, look up at me. We are in a season of transition, but I have some things that I want to tell you from my heart, and I want you to listen. In this season, listen, we will not retreat. We will advance forward. We won't be led by fear. We'll be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to do the work of the gospel. 
to make sure that the hungry are fed, to make sure the hurting get help, to make sure our neighbors know we care, to make sure people who are far from Jesus know about the good news that the kingdom is here, to make sure that those who have no hope know there is someone and something to have hope in. And listen, if we would link arms together and everyone bring what they have and have willing hearts and allow the spirit to move them forward, we will move forward as a community and we will look back at the end of this season and say, wow, look what God did in our midst. That's good news. You see, church, this is who South is. We are an eclectic, intergenerational community of people trying to figure out what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus today. We are made up of all kinds of people from a variety of theological, socioeconomic, political, generational, and ideological backgrounds. We have young people, older people, and everything in between. No matter where we come from, we gather together under the banner of Jesus with the mission to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We are driven by our values of presence, practice, wholeness, family, renewal, and roots. We are grounded in the lives and faith of those who have gone before us. But also, we believe Jesus has a beautiful mission for us in the present and in the days, months, and years ahead. We meet in the strip mall, and we embrace our roots, our quirks, and the neighborhood God has placed us in, trusting He will use it for His glory and to transform lives. We are more than a church in Littleton and the South Denver area. We believe God has called South Fellowship to be part of what makes Littleton and the South Denver area what it is. We, we are, are South. South. Ah, I'm so thankful. I want to say thanks to Aaron. You know, all the footage that you saw, Aaron took hours to shoot, not just to make a cool video, uh, not just to record people, but to remind us that we're planted in a context for a reason. We get the privilege of being in Littleton and South Denver and beyond, and that's who we are as a community. Now, here at South, every week we try to give practical things we can do to respond to the talk each week, and so I'm going to give you six things that you could do if you're wondering, well, what's next? What's my next step, and then we're going to do something very special together that I'm so excited about. Um, The first thing that you could do is to follow Jesus passionately. And that's not always easy, is it? Life happens. But I want to push in beyond just I've been following Jesus for a long time, and now I'm going to add passion. I more specifically want to talk to you today. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, if you've never said it's time for me now passionately to live in his way with his heart, We do baptisms every few months, and those are people who say, I went from a a place where I did not follow Jesus or I did not know Jesus to a place where I do know Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. In a couple of months, we're going to have a big baptism party. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so if that's you, I'd love it if you'd come talk to me after this gathering or, or tell a pastor or an elder today, hey, I've decided I want to follow Jesus passionately. Another thing I want to encourage us to do is to attend consistently. And that's not just so that we can have numbers or we can just say, well, attendance is doing well right now. It's because you matter. Your voice matters. Your presence matters. You being in this room matters. I like looking out and seeing most of you. You No, I'm just kidding. All of you. And so come. Come on a regular basis. Make this a priority in your life, a practice of worshiping together with with this fellowship of believers. and, And be on time. Aaron works really hard with this team to start the service off in a way that helps us to engage with Jesus, so come at the beginning. Um, the third thing, embrace community. And it's so important. 
There are no lone wolves here at South. Like, if you want to grow, you cannot grow deeply in your relationship with Jesus if you're not a part of community in some way. And our teams work really hard to try to make that easy today in the next two weeks after today with GroupLink. Out in the lobby after the service, go out there and find a way to connect. Take a risk. Say hi to someone. Say, what are you showing me? Go out there and explore something and try something, a group or a class that makes sense for you. We also need people to serve faithfully. And we can't do what we do without volunteers. We have hundreds of volunteers who call this place their home and, and serve sometimes just in one hour a month or one hour a week or in all the different departments, all the different things, or in our city or around the world. Go on a mission trip. Partner with one of our strategic partners like Graceful Cafe or Family Promise or some of those things. Those are ways that you can serve faithfully and give beyond yourself to God's kingdom work. We can also live generously. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our time, our abilities, our treasure, our finances. Live a generous life, and not just in the offering time on Sunday mornings, but see people who have needs and meet those needs. And the last thing I'm very excited about, pray unceasingly. I don't think we can move forward as a community and live in transition in a way that's healthy without committing this community to prayer. So I'm going to invite you just to ponder on these couple of questions that I'm going to throw up. And then we're going to, we're going to shift gears out of the sermon into something where we're going to pray together. But right now, I want to put these two questions up. And I want you to chew on these this week. Jesus, what resources and skills do I have to offer you? And Jesus, how would you like me to use what you've given me for your kingdom? So we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to pray over one another, for one another. And then we're going to pray together and do something. I'm just so excited. So let's get to it. I think prayer is an important part of our journey. It's a way that we practice uh, interceding for others and talking to God. And so what I want you to do is, I want, I'm going to put this prayer on the screen. I want you to look at it. The prayer is, Jesus, bring to their mind what resources and skills you've equipped them with that you'd like them to use in this season by the power of your spirit. And I want you to turn to the person on your left and look at them for a second. And I want you to pray that prayer over them. Would you just do that right now, just boldly, courageously? You don't have to say it out loud, but just look at the person on your left and ask that, and ask this of the heart of Jesus. Bring to their mind what resources and skills you've equipped them with that you'd like to use in this season by the power of your spirit. Go ahead and pray for the person on your left now. beloved child of God and pray the same prayer over them Jesus would you bring to mind for all of us what resources and skills you've equipped us with how you want us to use them in this season for your, your kingdom's sake by the power of your spirit and together this church said amen the second prayer I'm going to ask you to pray this with me together out loud, be bold and courageous at our, at our corporate prayer time. It was so fun hearing the church just shout out their praise and their prayer to God. And so I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable. If you're not, that's okay. But if you're comfortable, just say it out loud with me this second prayer. Let's pray it. Jesus, bring people here who don't know you. Transform the lives and hearts of all who are here. Give our church unity and clarity as we seek to live in your way with your heart. And together this church said, 
This week, I asked our team to make some calls to local churches who love Jesus and who are partners in the gospel uh, to ask how this community could be praying for their community in this season. And I just want to take just a moment before we pray and just remind all of us, we're not the only church in town. Did you know that? It's not a competition. And I think it's our heart to consider other churches and the, the kingdom work that they're doing. It's, a, it's our honor to take time on a Sunday morning at the end of our gathering to just pray over them. And I want to ask you right where you are just to stand. Go ahead and stand right now with me. And look around you and find four or five people. And I'm going to prompt us with three churches that we've asked to share their prayer needs with us. And in this season of transition, we're, I said we're going to advance. And one of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to pray for other churches who are doing good kingdom work in this city and beyond.